0: Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And this is episode 85, Bridget and Anya.
1: Yeah, this is going to be a good one. It's hot as hell here in uh, New York, so we decided to maybe if we appease the Irish goddesses uh, who are in charge of this season, uh, they will let us not sweat to death. Yeah, we go through some great fashion uh,
0: ideas, practical fashion ideas, I might add. Mm -hmm. Uh, Learn a little little bit more about my ancestral homeland. And, you know, just don't worry about it. It's it's not pagan. It's fine. Yep, it's all good. It's all good here uh also very good and probably look great even when they're super sweaty are our newest patrons sarah ella katie anna liz and emily as well as our supporting producer level patrons philip julie christina josh eeyore neil ashley marie jessica maria ryan phil fresh and deborah
1: And they join our amazing legend level patrons who I am shipping out their boxes right now as soon as we're done recording this intro. Uh, Sandra, Audra, Mercedes, Jack Marie, Leanne, and Cassie. Thank you all so much for your
0: support. You allow us to do this show, to publish it for you every single week, and to buy drinks to support our podcasting habit. Jules, what were we drinking this episode?
1: frosé which seems very 2017 i will give our listeners that but it is also delicious and i don't care yeah it's uh
0: it feels like an adult version of shave ice or paraguas and it's delicious i mean
1: that's basically what it is it's just shaved ice with frozen rosé or rosé poured on top of you know what i mean it's fine It's delicious. I also uh, actually
0: made this like bourbon slushy for my 4th of July barbecue last week, Mm -hmm. uh, where you basically have a bunch like iced tea, lemonade, and orange juice that you freeze together with some whiskey overnight, and then you let it sit on the counter for like 20-ish minutes before you serve it, um, and it's just like a delicious, slushy, super drinkable, uh, boozy little beverage.
1: That sounds amazing, and I would give up my ban on dark liquor to just to try that.
0: right on um well we are really stoked with this episode we do want to let you know that we discuss sexual assault a little bit so um you know be mindful and uh, and really kind to yourself when deciding you know when and if to listen um but without further ado i hope that you stay cool this week this summer and enjoy spirits podcast episode 85 bridget and onya amanda it's
1: summer it's, it's summer. so hot it's, Julia, so, it's so hot It's so very hot. It's very, very hot. balls. And normally I'm very excited for summer, but it is hot as balls currently. So um, I thought when I was writing this episode that we would be celebrating summer. But at this point, I kind of don't want to. But um, I I do want to still celebrate some enthusiasm over two things that we both love. And that is summertime yeah and irish goddesses Woo-hoo! i know coming back around specifically this episode we are going to be talking about bridget the goddess of spring fertility healing poetry and smithcraft as well as anya who is the irish goddess of summer wealth and sovereignty um all the things that i love good choices i know i'm i do my best just
0: for you uh- lots of uh lots of irish people are given like patron saint uh, medals like saint medals uh of either saint patrick or saint bridget often they'll like gender that based on the the kid if it's like for sure. your communion, your confirmation or something um and i have a saint bridget medal so i'm excited to learn more about the uh, the goddess
1: i think you're going to be very happy with that medal because she is pretty metal herself oh wow <laughs> secretism pun so we're going to actually start with bridget because you know Spring goes into summer, and then we can finish with Anya. So oh, get to like idea. chronological. Wah, wah, wah. Wow. So first, Bridget, uh her name means the exalted one, uh, and that is derived from a proto-Celtic Briganti, which means high one. Um, I did do a lot of research for the pronunciation for this, so hopefully it's somewhat close to being right. Irish I can people only hope. Don't add us. Don't Don't at me, please. Listen, I'm doing my best.
0: Real talk for a moment. Uh, Making this podcast is a labor of love. We hope it's going to be our jobs one day, but uh, we put our heart and souls into making it, editing it, posting it, uh, you know, promoting it. Trying to get money, keeping all the stuff organized, answering your many beautiful emails and tweets and Facebook messages, and uh, we we do our very best. So when we get sub when we get substantial things wrong, when you think we could be doing better, when we could learn something for the future, you know we are happy to hear it in a nice way. But if we mispronounce a word that is never going to come up again in any other episode, Um, trust that that someone's already told us. Love you. Yes.
1: It also seems as though it might have come from a high German name called Burgund, and the Sanskrit word which means hi and it's an epithet of the hindu dawn goddess Ushas. So, i love when sanskrit gets up in there we always talk about
0: sanskrit shows up and you know it's a party it's like the it's, person that shows up to your party with like gin and juice yeah sanskrit it's like, is like this is gonna be this is gonna be the night now
1: yep yeah, no it's sanskrit when sanskrit shows up you know that things are gonna get crazy side note uh I got a
0: like strawberry guava fruit juice, not carbonated, Ooh. just fruit juice uh, from a poke place in my neighborhood the other day. And Girl, it was adult high C. I want to add some gin and or vodka to that real bad. Pick some up for the next time I'm at your
1: house, please. I sure will. According to the book of The Taking of Ireland, which is a collection of poems and prose that give the history of Ireland and the Irish from the world to the Middle Ages, uh, and it was compiled in the 11th century. So according to all that. Oh, uh, Bridget is the daughter of the Dagtha, who is the father figure and god of fertility, agriculture, manliness, strength, and appetite. Not even uh,
0: saying like strength, straight up manliness. Strength straight also, up manliness. But like,
1: that's very funny. Yeah. Uh, and her mother was a mortal poet. So, hey. so far, so good. Yep. This sounds like self-insert fanfic, but I'm down this for it. legitimately sounds like you. <laughs> So um, it's already a really good start. Uh, She's said to have had two oxens, has the king of the boars, and the king of the sheep. Just as like her
0: friends, consorts? So she's
1: just like out there keeping a bunch of livestock royalty, uh, which makes sense because she is the goddess of fertility and spring and whatnot. Yeah. Also because of this considered the guardian of domesticated animals.
0: I'm getting some vibes of um, what was the older sister in Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, Susan. Susan. My head was saying Sarah. I'm getting some Susan vibes up in here.
1: Mm -hmm. Damn right. So she is the patroness of poetry, smithing, medicine, arts and crafts, sacred wells, and of course, the arrival of spring. Let's pause on sacred wells. Mm -hmm. Please tell me more. I don't have a lot more, but there are sacred wells. Like, you know how we were talking about with um the Laume. There's just like sacred rocks and stuff like that just around. This is true. This it's is like true. there, as long as there's a like piece of the land that has significance to the community around it, it's probably going to be sacred in some way. All right. Fair enough. I just love that
0: idea that she's like, yeah, I got arts and crafts. I got domestic stuff. I got animals. I got sacred wells, man. Sacred I get to give some
1: sweet wells. <laughs> give you that good,
0: good water. I mean, and in a in a world where we have not learned how to treat water, or even that water could be contaminated uh, in bad ways, like there are probably real reasons for it to be like that. Well, that well is okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, so according to Lady Augusta Gregory, Brigid is, quote, a woman of poetry, and poets worshipped her, for her sway was very great and very noble. And she was a woman of healing along with that, and a woman of smith's work, and it was she that made the first whistle for calling one to another through the night. Damn! Which like, okay, I I don't know really what that last part means exactly, but now I'm dubbing her the like goddess of cell phones and late night booty calls because I think that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. (laughs) I know that's not it, but was like pre industrial Ireland having like flutes that you would trade with your beloved so
0: that you would like carve matching flutes or something and then be able to like call at each other in the nighttime? Was that the proto booty call?
1: I like that a lot. Damn. She is said to be the Celtic equivalent of the Roman Minerva or the Greek Athena, especially since both versions of the goddess embody this idea of an elevated state, which is either physical or psychological. Nice. So this even goes into the physical realm. So she is considered the goddess of all things high. So high rising flames, the highlands, hill forts, upland areas. And then it also goes into the psychological realm wisdom, excellence, perfection, high intelligence, poetic eloquence, craftsmanship, healing ability, druidic knowledge, and even skill
0: in warfare. This is amazing. I also love that domestic animals are in her purview because they are like the highest of the animals as far as mm-hmm. humans are concerned. You know, like they're they're cultivated such that they really f- fulfill our needs because that's how human beings kind of see the environment. Is like, does mm-hmm. it help me? Yes, no. But oh my God, this is so cool. And I'm getting real like capital R romantic vibes here. Um, mm-hmm. Like in, in my literature degree, you know, whenever we talked about romanticism with a capital R, it's like Byron and Keats and Shelley and all these poets that wrote about like, oh, by suffering, but also beauty and like the mm-hmm. sublime. Lyme. um The first time that I kind of studied that phrase uh, and and that phase of literature. Uh, My professor put up on her slides um, a a painting of Byron just like standing on a hillside like looking out over. I know know? exactly which one you're talking about too. It's like the textbook image literally of the sublime Um, and this is very much the vibe that I'm getting of, of Bridget just like in a beautiful like frock or something standing on the hillside with like smart sheep at her at her
1: feet like a book of poetry being like yes this is mine. I love it. That's a good image. Someone someone, make it for us, please, if it's not already out there. So she's the goddess of high things. It's the reason why she's called the exalted one or the high one. And I kind of like in my head, I'm just like, oh, she's the goddess of getting super high. It's just where my head went. Elevated states, man. Elevated states. Uh, so she is also attributed with the invention of keening which for people who don't know what that is, it is the combination of weeping and singing. So she invented yep. this while mourning her son after he was slain uh, while fighting the Fomorians. I mean, it is, a, it is a, an artful form of mourning. I see it. Yeah, I'm gonna post a example of keening in the show notes because it's kind of like a weird thing if you haven't ever heard of it before.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I could see myself laughing uncomfortably, you know, like, if I first learn of it, especially, or see it, Um, but I've, uh, I've, I usher at an Irish theater here in New York City, um, like, for fun to go see plays and hang out with, like, old Irish folks that remind me of my grandparents, and there was a a play that involved Keening, and, and, like, it, like, it happened in a scene during the show, and it was so profoundly moving, like, if it had been described to me, I would have, you know, kind of probably laughed nervously, but it was, it was super profound, so definitely. Nice. A thing that's worth learning about.
1: So Brigid is probably most well known now because during the Middle Ages she was syncretized with the Christian saint, Saint Bridget. There she is. There she is. Supposedly, Christian monks took the ancient figure of the mother goddess and grafted her name and functions onto her Christian counterpart, Saint Bridget of Kildare. So this is according to the medievalist Pamela Berger. Uh, So she is associated with perpetual sacred flames to the point where, this is really interesting, one is maintained by 19 nuns in her sanctuary of Kildare, Ireland. So supposedly this flame is pretty badass. According to some writers in the Middle Ages, the flame is surrounded by a hedge that no man can cross. Whoa. If a man attempts to cross the hedge, they uh, they are said to become cursed, either... By going insane, dying, or being horrifically injured to the hope where they cannot be healed. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing.
0: And, like, not to be too heteronormative here, but I I love that this is, like, this is the, the woman's man cave. Like, this is where women can go to, like, fucking be chill for a minute. And, like, it's quiet and no one needs me. And there's no kids and there's no errands and there's no animals to be tended to. And we can all, like, sit here and fucking read or nap or pray. By the fireplace. (laughs) By the fireplace. It's pretty. There's a hedge. There's privacy. We can like undo our corsets. Like we can just be here for a minute. I like
1: that. Uh, so this is actually extremely similar to Vesta or Hestia in Roman Greek mythology and this kind of similar general worship of the hearth goddess. In the Roman Catholic Church, St. Brigid's Day is February 1st, which is the same day as the Gaelic Day of Worship for Brigid, the goddess. Uh, so this day was selected because it is the halfway point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. Huh. Uh, another fun fact about uh, St. Bridget, which got me all excited, is that she is an expert dairy woman and brewer, and is said as one of her miracles to have turned water into beer. Hot damn! This. God, I didn't think she could get any better. And here we are. I know. Our final part is probably one of the, my favorite things. And this actually got tweeted at us by listener Amy, which I didn't know about. And Amy kind of opened my eyes to it. And I was really excited about it. But several medieval biographies mention that some of her miracles, St. Bridget's miracles, included divine abortions, described by sources as penance for sins and treated as relatively minor offenses. Huh. Wow, I don't even know how to wrap my head around that. Yeah. So let me tell you the story and then we can maybe discuss it a little bit more. Sure. All right. So in the story, St. Brigid is said to have become a nun because she was arranged to be married, but she refused and then prayed to God that her beauty would be taken away from her so that no man would want to marry her. They're not very clear, but apparently that works because she takes this newfound independence and she becomes a nun in order to work with the sick and poor. So the aforementioned miracle is outlined by Cogidesis and uh, it occurred when a young woman had broken her vow of chastity. In some versions, it's a nun herself uh, and became pregnant. And here's the direct quote from uh, the source. Brigid exercising with her strength of her most ineffable faith blessed her caused the fetus to disappear without coming to birth and without pain. She faithfully returned the woman to health and to penance. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, Cogidus was an Irish monk and a writer who lived about uh, 650. That was around where he was at. So he was one of the monks of Kildare, and so he has the oldest written record of the, light, uh, the life of St. Bridget. Uh, and it's actually kind of a controversy because some people said that he might have actually been related to her really in some way, like a cousin of some sort. So he is a he's supposed to be a um contemporary with her. wow, well, this this obviously has a lot
0: of like complex implications yeah. for Catholic theology, mm-hmm. especially, you know when deciding to to sanctify somebody uh you know you you, like from what I understand the church kind of like takes the you know some of their life and the some of their their miracles and like decides how it goes uh and so it's like that's just such an interesting fact uh or or claim that I that like Ugh, it's one of those things that makes me realize that people in history were people also. And, mm-hmm. like, people dealt with similar situations that we deal with now only with different or fewer resources. Um, and I I can't imagine the kind of, like, groundbreaking, shit-stirring, you know, like, yeah. life-defending um, and altering kind of people, like, had to deal with stuff like this back then.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting and I kind of want to leave the implications of it sort of open-ended for our listeners, but I think it's a really interesting fact and it's one that you can't really ignore about the goddess and about the saint because they're they're like so woven into the history of who they are.
0: Absolutely. And putting to the side uh for a minute the kind of like uh Catholic saint and Catholic implications because I'm sure there is a lot there and a lot of people yeah. have very strong opinions. Um, as a as a goddess, again, like everything about uh, Brigid kind of implies like mastery over nature, whether it's mm-hmm. brewing, it's agriculture, it's, you know, arts and crafts, which is like elevating, you know, pr- uh, kind of raw materials to a, mm-hmm. a higher form, uh, domestic animals, things like that. Um, control over your reproductive cycle, control over, you know, things that would otherwise happen to you passively. Like that is an elevation and an evolution too so yeah it is very wow
1: yeah it's a lot there there's a lot to unpack for sure now that we've settled up with spring uh let's head over to summer i'm down so summertime summertime amanda that is summertime Anya's in the time. someone summertime. in a rush next to someone Summer looking pretty pretty excuse me miss i know it's not funny but your perfume smells like your daddy's got money
0: okay sorry <laughs> my uh, my partner has not seen hamilton or listened to it uh and yet that song is like verb verbatim a part of our vernacular now because i quote it so much
1: <laughs> that's adorable so summertime that is Anya's time so Anya's name derives from the word that means brightness or radiance as well as splendor glory and fame all
0: right we're really it.
1: killing it on the name game here so uh we'll start with the fact that Celtic legends say that she is the daughter of Jochevere uh who was a member of the Tuatha de Danon which is a Uh, which is one of the mythological races of Ireland. Hmm. Uh, So they are basically the main deities that existed in pre-Christian Ireland, and their pantheon is said to dwell in the, quote, other world, uh, but would interact with humans and the humans world from time to time.
0: Got it. So I'm getting a little bit of a like Zeus before he fucked up a lot of stuff vibe where the gods yeah. are like, they're around kind of parallel, but not involved necessarily in human affairs.
1: Later, Christian records would depict them as kings, queens, heroes, rather than deities, because non-deifying former deities is just what lol, Christianity it's pagan, does. It's, fine. Yep, lol, it's not pagan, it's fine. Yep. Well, it's not pagan, it's fine. So it seems that Jokavar is another name for Dactha, which we talked about before being the father figure of Brigid. Uh, and he seems to also be the father figure. Uh, and again, he is the god of fertility, agriculture, manliness, strength, and appetite. Oh, manliness. Love. I love the appetite part. That's kind of fun. I know. <laughs> Anya is also considered in many stories to be the wife of the sea god, Monanon Muckler. She fucked with the sea god. Yeah. Uh, And in other stories that she's his daughter, uh, but this is one of those instances where the family trees are corrupted because they're being retold through a Christian lens.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Side note, Mononon Mokler is actually a pretty cool god. He had a boat called Wave Sweeper. He had a water boat chariot. Uh, and he had this powerful sword called the Answerer and a cloak of invisibility. And I see you, J.K. Rowling. I know it's. Are up. we sure this is not a Gary Sue self-insert fanfic? Uh, it kind of feels like it, doesn't it? Sweeper,
0: the Answerer.
1: Yeah, the answer is a pretty fucking cool
0: name oh, for a sword. My, it
1: is. It is like so badass. It's almost corny, but I am yeah. here for it. Okay, if you had a sword. Yes. What would you name your sword?
0: Oh, oh, oh boy.
1: Oh boy. Uh, you know, I kind of sprung this one on you, but get ready for it.
0: You know, my first thought was, was like the lady killer, but I don't want to kill ladies. I want to, I want to like make them be like, damn girl, she fine. So so, so lady, your sword's name
1: is damn girl, she fine. <laughs> uh,
0: it would be the like, where'd you get that shirt? or something. Like <laughs> like that would be that would be my my ideal situation is is the sword makes someone be like, "Damn, where'd you get that?" Or thanks that's... it has pockets. That's my sword's name.
1: Oh fuck. No, that's yes! so good. Oh, my, I love that. My so my, my much. scabbard would have pockets. Uh, it's a pocket. Your your scabbard is a pocket. It's, it's in a pocket. your dress. It has pockets. Dub- oh fuck. We did it. Dress did with it. A scabbard in it we figured it out. There it is. We're done. It's like one of those it's like a bag of holding except it holds my sword. Yeah,
0: or like or like like a cane sword, only instead it's like the boning, like a nice A-line skirt, you know what I mean? And the sides, the hems, that is where the scabbard is.
1: I'm so happy right now. You've made Julia, my we're day. Gonna be, we're going to be millionaires. So we figured I it know. out. We figured it out. We just got to bring back swords. <laughs> Thanks it has swords. Thanks it has swords. It's got one good sword. <laughs> <laughs> it actually came with the sword. How cool is that? How cool is that? You can fit it right in there. Look, you can't even see. <laughs> Moving back on to Summer and Anya. Uh, one of the more important titles of Anya is the fact that she is known as the Queen of the Fairies. Hell yes. So the Feast of Midsummer Night is thrown in her honor. This association also ties her to the goddess Grian, uh, and they might, according to some sources, uh, share a dual goddess seasonal function role, which is really interesting. Meaning, uh, so like the they two- share like summer versus winter. Yeah, so um, the goddesses are said to represent the two suns of the year. So Anya represents the light half of the year and the bright summer sun, while Grian represents the dark half of the year and the pale winter sun. Like, you know how it's wintertime and you can kind of see that sort of, like, veil of light? Like, the light is different during the winter. Hell yeah. And the Irish were like, I know what that is. That's a different goddess.
0: Different sun. I mean, it feels that way, right? Like, how Mm -hmm. can it be the same sun in the sky and yet it is so much less warm?
1: Yeah, no, I really like that. I think it's super interesting. I really enjoy, and we talked about this with Biavi, and we talked about this a couple times. I really like when early human beings like kinda understand astrophysics
0: a little bit. Yeah, in the mermaids episode too, we we referenced it where yeah. I or I think I just said like I love when people describe weather. Like I I love when when uh exactly as you say like our ancestors pretty much got it in a way yeah. that is like mind blowing.
1: Or, like, when Batala was, like, oh, the the sky is cold above, like, above the earth. The sky like, is cold. yes, like, it is. It is cold. How, how did you know that? that? I know. So How good. did you figure that out? It's amazing.
0: I know. Anyway. Other times I, I see humans, like, forget random things or, like, try really, really hard to open a lock where the key was upside down the whole time. And I'm just, like, how did we get here? How did we? How? How, how did we make it?
1: How did we figure out, like... Stars and the sun and the earth exist in the ways that they do. I don't understand. Anyway, (laughs) so as this sun goddess, Anya could take the shape of a red mare that no one could outrun and use this form in order to walk among the Irish people. Yes. Like Like a better kelpie exactly lawful good Kelpie so the hill that is associated with Anya is Nakini in the county limerick uh, and it is actually located right next to the hill of the goddess Green. Hey. so they're like they're twinsies it's very cute neighbors Uh, So Anya became the queen of the fairies once the Christians came into the picture. Uh, This is attached to stories where she had relationships with human men. And this supposedly led to the birth of this magical fey human race. Wow. So probably the most important story of Anya is how she became known as the goddess of sovereignty. Because I love good sovereignty story. So the story... So the story is about the story of Alil Olam, uh, who was, according to Irish traditional history, the king of the southern half of Ireland. So in the story, he discovered that the grass in his fields just would not grow. And without the grass, there could be no cattle and then his people would starve. Yeah. So he approached a Druid who told him to go to Nacaini, which was then known as the Hill of Onya, on uh, Samhain Eve. So the king did as he was told, but when he arrived on the hill, he became drowsy and fell into this kind of half-sleep, during which he saw a vision of Anya. Never sleep on a fairy mound. Anya was so beautiful that the king was, quote, overcome with desire and Mm. forced himself upon the goddess. Don't do that. Just don't fucking do that. Like... So the assault ended only when Anya bit off Eliel's ear, earning him the moniker Olam, or one-eared. Because ancient Irish law dictated that only a, quote, unblemished person could rule, by maiming him, Anya had rendered him unfit to be king, and in that moment became the embodiment of sovereignty, able to grant and remove a man's power to rule. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of implications there. (laughs) This is some, like, Medusa levels
0: of reclaiming agency from, like, a place of complete, you know, uh, victimization.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. Um, For the record, the descendants of Olam also claim to be the descendants of Anya as well. Again, because of that whole nonsense. Uh, There is another story in which Anya is the wife of a man called Gerald Fitzgerald. (laughs) Ireland. Okay. Uh, Who is also known as the third Earl of Desmond, because Mm -hmm. why not? So he was an actual guy who lived between uh, 1335 and 1398, and was known as Gerald the Poet. Uh, Adorable. He sounds British. What county was he in? I have no idea. But I think this is one of those instances where during that period, the uh, British had invaded Ireland. Yeah. And they were trying to create like claims to the land which is why he's associated with an Anya story. Yeah
0: or he could be he could be natively Irish but was but had the like title of Earl kind of imposed on him when the British came and was like this is mine now and we were like no no.
1: Yeah basically. Um. So in a version of the story again he rapes Anya rather than having a consensual marriage uh, and she exacts revenge on him by turning him into a goose and in some stories killing and eating him. Wow. Yep. So this is supposed to be a retelling of the original story of Olam, but the retelling in this version is given a more French continental inspired twist with the goose ending. Because, you know, France, they just like turn people into birds and
0: stuff like that. They love it. They love it. <laughs> Russia loves their bird husbands and France loves their oops, die your
1: dinner, goose. Thanks. You're adorable. Uh, so this story is also said to have roots in the fact that uh, the Fitzgerald family was originally Norman. And in order to claim ties to Ireland, they invented this mythos uh, being related to the goddess of sovereignty in order to justify their leadership. This yes. is like some early on like uh, doctrine, like Sun King bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: And my actually, my mind flashed right away to kind of like corporate culture because in the giant investment banks like the one where i started my career uh they frequently like buy other companies all the time and there are people who work in the like acquisitions department of giant corporations whose job is to think about like meshing corporate culture and how do you talk to the employees how do you like spin that story to the public and that idea of like inventing narrative and finding provenance and like in you know inventing um a way that these two things can peacefully coexist Reminds me exactly of this, where some people sat around in, you know, a, a like palatial, you know, sub chamber in mm-hmm. France and and said like, OK, well, how can we, you know, soothe this transition and make this as smooth as possible? Uh, and humans are going to human.
1: And I think that's really interesting because you, you consider Irish mythology as a whole and you consider the movement from pre-Christian mythology to Christian mythology. This like becomes such a. A powerful play in their book is taking one thing that they like and has benefits and instead of turning it evil like we see a lot of the times like the lol it's not uh, it's not pagan it's fine um, we see them turn it into something that they can use in order to dominate the culture
0: you know what I mean yeah And in a, you know, in a more serious note, like that is gaslighting. Like it's, you know, psychologically abusive to use something, some kernel of truth about a person um, or a culture or whatever. And and use that as like the the grit in the in
1: the oyster to like make a pearl. Yeah. Um, And like kind of finishing up. Uh, this episode with a little bit more discussion uh, mostly I like the idea that our western god and goddesses like can cross over with each other so we see a lot of the same stories because either they're spreading to people like from another source or we're just seeing people having similar human experiences and I like that when that's the case because there's always these things that are quite specific to a region. Uh, that they're coming from. So like in the case of Brigid being similar to Athena and Minerva, but because she has such like this very regional specific thing, she has like control over the highlands. She invented Keening. It reminds me of this thing that I used to like talk about when I was doing food writing a lot. It's called terroir. It's the taste of place. So it's the flavor that is distinct to that region. And usually it applies to stuff like cheese and wine and meat. But the idea that something is so distinct to a place that it makes it entirely unique from other things that are similar to it, it's formed from the land and the, the people itself to create something familiar, but also entirely new. And I liked both of these goddesses because I feel like they fall into that area of Tawar. It's really, really interesting.
0: I'm just sitting here grinning because this is one of my absolute favorite subjects. Um, And I I love that you use this lens to kind of tie them together. Um, You know, as a a person, I I felt like I was really raised on the internet, you know? And Mm -hmm. uh, I think both of us had this experience of, you know, finding... um, communities online and like seeing parts of ourselves discovering parts of ourselves that we couldn't kind of get out elsewhere online maybe me a little more than you because you like played outside and stuff um sometimes a little bit (laughs) um but I like rediscovered when I went to college the fact that like I was from a place and I lived in a place and those places weren't just like the you know the like where all my clothes were before I traveled somewhere else, um, or my like meat space when I was not, you know, living my life online, but there were positives to that. And like, there are things that are true of like our hometown and our upbringing that aren't true of others. And like, I kind of learned to appreciate those things when I like traveled a little bit and studied abroad and like lived outside of, of our hometown. Um, and, Uh, like those are now some of my favorite things as much as I love the internet. I love this community. You know, I, I love all the ways in which um, the web lets us live lives that are bigger than just where we are. You know, it's, it's a real privilege that I'm able to really see the fact that, you know, having a a community supported agriculture share this summer means that I am eating vegetables that were grown like 10 miles away from where I live. Mm -hmm. And I get to like shake hands with a farmer. I get to like go pick strawberries on the farm. Um, I I get to like, have like a New York state radish that I could not get anywhere else. (laughs) Um, And, there's something really exciting and nerdy about that. Um, yeah. So that is very much like the the kind of taste of summer for me. Like farmers markets are one way that you can really you know put a put an actual like tangible um, connection to something that is otherwise hard to find.
1: Yeah. No. I I really appreciate that, and I think that that kind of lends itself to this idea that much like our goddesses and much like our culture, we are shaped by the place that we are born and shaped by the communities that we're built in. And like, I just, I really appreciate that because I think a lot of times, I I think a lot of times our generation kind of give our hometowns a bad rep. You know what I mean? Especially Um, those of us raised in suburbia. Right, for sure. And we just, we want to see so much more. But like, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking with people who, because of the internet and because like our friend groups kind of expand who like weren't born and weren't raised in the same like kind of community that we are and you start noticing the differences and it's really interesting and you start thinking like oh not everyone grew up with that weird commercial that everyone always quotes back in my hometown or oh not everyone grew up with that like chain of food places that we would go to at like two in the morning after tech rehearsals and stuff like that and it's just it's really interesting to kind of think about hey I am unique because of how I was created and how I was formed and like I I have this unique experience that no one else outside of this community is going to have and it's really really interesting and really cool and I feel like that's such a human experience and I think that we kind of take it for granted and we don't appreciate it enough. Yeah
0: and like you know this is uh this is sappy but one of the the great joys of my life is having a friendship with you and with Jake and with my brother and sister um, and my other little brother, all of them. Um, because you, you know, the, the five of you like understand me and my origin in a way that no one else does. Like not my other friends of 10 plus years, like not my partner, not people who grew up outside of where we grew up. Um, and You know, we kind of often say that like you and I are kind of each other's like only close friend from our, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, uh, upbringing in elementary school and all of that. But I'm so glad that I have you because um, as much as like, you know, I tried for a while to distance myself from that past, like there are ways in which our, our hometown, you know, is messed up and has stuff to learn and there are you yeah. know, ways that we try to better ourselves and to unlearn, um, you know, some of the the patriarchy and racism and homophobia and heteronormativity that we were raised in. Um, but like, that is, that is the flavor of life. And like, as, as you know, it's not going to go away. And uh, all we can do is like make peace with where we came from and decide what we want to keep, decide what we want to toss, uh, be like, well, it's not pagan. It's fine. And and i don't know i'm 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 really glad to have you and i'm really glad to have this through line of friendship um so that we can always kind of some part of us like resonates in the matching part of each other that shares that terroir
1: terroir i don't know how to pronounce terrar. that terroir <laughs> it's weird in french it's fine um i appreciate you and i appreciate you having my life and i'm definitely not crying right now it's totally fine um oh, babe but i'm i'm just glad that like the way that we were raised and the people that we became worked so well with each other. And I'm glad that we get to do this project and it makes me really happy. Uh, And I'm so glad that we get to share those experiences and the experiences of the communities that we get to talk about with our listeners. And I really appreciate that. And this is like a really like a very thankful podcast at the end of this, but I, I do really appreciate the time that we get to spend with all of our listeners and with each other talking about new and exciting things in our lives and in the lives of like human beings in general it's very cool it's very awesome and i'm glad to be here
0: i know summertime is a time to sit in the sunshine and eat some really good food and drink some really good drinks and say Mm. like "Ah, this is this is okay sometimes and um that's what this podcast feels like to me
1: it absolutely is and remember listeners to stay creepy stay cool Seriously though, stay cool. It's seriously really hot. Hydrate, out.
0: please. Go to a cooling center if you have asthma. Don't go outside. Bye.
1: No. Bye.